Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, recorded at Maestros Cafe, located at the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center in beautiful Cocoa, Florida. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Today's show features President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee. Now your host, SESO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau. Top of the morning to you, guys. Notice top, of the mo- top of the morning to you. <laughs> top bro. of the morning. Notice you, I said guys. Yes. He threw no, me off. thank you. Well, I'm Bill Trudeau, host of the show. Eric Lee is here. President of the, your Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. And? We have our fabulous producer. Jeremy Hickman, pusher of buttons. <laughs> pusher of buttons. <laughs> you do more than just push buttons. You uh, keep us in line. Yeah. You're uh, producer extraordinaire. That's, that's a full-time job. Yeah, you got that right. Just ask my wife. You're very good. I'm going to tell you something, okay? And I'm, I'm not going out on a limb. Trust me. This is true. <laughs> this is from the heart, Jeremy. From the heart. Okay. You, you have a heart? Y- yes, I do. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Come <laughs> on. Go, yes, sorry, I go do. Ahead. You are one of the best in the business. That's a fact. Thank you. That's uh, <laughs> Thanks. That's a, that's, a, that's a great honor. Yeah. Appreciate you saying that. I'm serious. You are. You're doing a great job. Without us, it'd just be like two guys talking. So we really appreciate everything yeah. you're doing. See, with me here, it's like three guys talking. <laughs> <laughs> like a Eric's bonus. a wise guy. It's like he an is. extra guy. You know, welcome back from uh, Texas. Why don't you talk to us about Texas? How well, was it? I had a great time. Yeah. You know, this is kind of like a mini fra- family reunion. Colleen's uh, sister had a timeshare, and what she was looking for was like a place halfway between Florida, and she lives in Washington State. Uh, Washington so State. So she's looking at the list and came up with um, New Brownsfeld, Texas is where her timeshare was. Really? Which is just outside of San Antonio. I had a great time. You know, and our producer, Jeremy, is from Texas. Uh, indeed, I was. I've uh, been to New Braunfels many times. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he was like telling yeah. you know, send me well, text messages on like places to go. Well, yeah. Well, like you in the Green Hall, uh, right, Texas' well, oldest dance hall. It's right. uh, not too far from where you were staying. Right. The uh, timeshare was right down the street from Green. It's uh, spelled um, Gruen. Like the German spelling, but Bruin. they pronounce it Bruin. green. Green. But it's, but it's neat. It's a it's a kind of a little small community. Right. It's very historic. It's a hist- little historic community. That's what I was it's thinking. Yeah, historic. but it's, um, it's a historic community, but it's a township. It's very small. I mean, it was named by this guy who moved there, you know, Mr. Green. So you've got um, the river... And we uh, hung out at this place called the Grist Mill. It was an old uh, oh, I've been gym. to the Grist Mill, yeah. Old cotton gin. They got great food, great drinks. And it was right next to the Green um, Music Green Hall. Hall. Yep. You, Green Hall. When you say the river, you're talking about Riverwalk. No, right? no, no. Riverwalk no? is a different thing. No, that's, right. in, uh, that's San in San Antonio. Antonio. Right. And that is fantastic. My geography's messed up. Now, a lot of Texan yeah, no, guys. You, so one of the things you do if you, when you go to San Antonio, you, you know, go on the Riverwalk and... 
you know, it's more like, uh, say, Atlantic City has a boardwalk. Yeah. Um, so what we're talking about in green, there's just the <clears> river <throat> that comes through, and you know, there's no concrete uh, pilings or anything. It's just it's just a river. You know, it's dirt right. and, uh, and trees tubing. with some water in the middle. Yeah. Right. And so and tubing, tubing is, really is popular uh, there. the thing I mean, to do in the summer. I mean, we didn't do the tubing, but that's really popular there. Yeah. So you know, so I actually come from a little north of there, Dallas area. Uh, but during the summer, that was one of the things that do is you get uh, half a dozen people, you go down, uh, everybody, you know, you rent your own uh, inner tube. And then however many you have, two, three, four, five people, you always rent one extra inner tube. And that one extra inner tube, you put a, a cooler in it and whatever uh, your a beverage of choice is, you That's put it in. That's a great idea. And uh, part of the t- uh, inner tube rental is people, will, the guy will put you in a van. He'll drive you like five miles up or eight miles up. There are different lengths. You know, you pick how long you want to be on the river that day. He'll drop you off upriver. Then you just float down. And when, you, when you're done, you get out yeah. and you get in your car and you go home. Yeah, Sounds like the Silver Glen. Yeah, we weren't Silver really Glen like Springs. Well, yeah. Also, up in if you go up to Georgia, Helen, Georgia, they do that too. Oh, yeah. In fact, I uh, very uh, similar. I'm going to be spending Thanksgiving in Helen, Georgia. That's a great this town year. up it's there a great too. Place. You'll yeah. have to give us a report. Sure. And after Thanksgiving, yeah, but he has to go first. Well, well no, I've been I mean, before. It's a, ways off. It's, a great, it's a great town. Uh, yeah, it, it, Helen's a neat town because you kind of drive up into the foothills and right. kind of go over the crest, and then you drive in. Yeah, and it's this, really uh, cool. You know, it's a it's a kind of like a you know, kind of an Austrian-German right, theme community. Right, it's got that Bavarian architecture. It's kind of the sound of music. Yeah, it's, it's really great. All right, I got one more thing about the trip, and then we won't talk about the trip. But wait, there's more. There is more. <laughs> one more thing. Okay. I, I don't I don't know if I could take much more. <laughs> I know, but I got to work this in. So. Okay, all right, well, go on. So, so we drove to Texas. So we stopped in New Orleans on the way, and Colleen's brother flew down from Pennsylvania yes. to meet us. Yes. And we're kind of wandering around the French Quarter, right? And the thing I like about New Orleans is there's spontaneous music happening everywhere. We're like walking around. We hear this band, and we like turn around, walk down the street, and we see this wedding recessional. You know, the mm, bride and groom, yep. they got like the little umbrellas. Like and spontaneous like, combustion. Exactly. Spontaneous <laughs> music. They've got That's the um, marching band, and then they've got all the people that went to the wedding marching behind them. So uh, Colleen got her iPhone out and took a little uh, video of it. So we're going to put the clip on just for you guys. You know, that reminds me of The Godfather. The kind this, only... This past weekend was Godfather weekend, and they did just that. They had they had musicians following them around the yeah. streets. It's kind of like that, only they were playing jazz, and yeah. The Godfather, they are playing Sicilian well, music. Well, I'm not saying it's the same kind of music, but it's the same concept. Yeah, and yeah. I, I used in to essence. play in one of those bands, like in The Godfather, a Sicilian band up in Chicago. Really? Yeah, well, we had like the hats We don't have to talk about that sometime. It was, unbe- it was unbelievable. Yes. We'll save that for another show. Okay. Because I'm getting the look, you know, I want got to stay on track. So. <laughs> I am not giving you the look. <laughs> well, we have some show for you. I'm glad we could catch up on... Your trip. That's, uh, it was enlightening. It was fascinating. Um, no, it was. It was very fascinating. I like the clip. Coming up, we're going to take a look uh, back at Carmen. We have a really great clip from uh, Christine Nigus. Right. That's going to be in the middle part of our yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, some really great upcoming concerts to talk about. And uh, no show would be complete without one of our featured interviews. Correct. Well, that's, that's correct. Let me uh, set that up for you. Our interview today is um, a friend of mine, Mike Gross. He's currently the um, 
tuba professor at the uh, University of Oregon. We went to school together at uh, Northwestern University. And what happened was he's doing this project where he's interviewing Ooh, all the... Um, a project. It is a project. Okay. He's doing like um, this project where he's interviewing all the former students of Arnold Jacobs. Now, our listeners, some may be aware, but Arnold Jacobs was the uh, tuba player in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and probably the um, preeminent brass teacher of the 20th century. Wow. So, That's some title, preeminent brass teacher of the 20th right. century. Actually, you could even say hmm. maybe like wind teacher because more than just brass players, I mean, he... Um, taught like all like wind instruments people would come in you know and work with him but i mean i think primarily it's like you know and was this at depaul where you went well actually well he taught at um at towards the end of um my time at northwestern taught at northwestern and then when i went to depaul they worked a special deal for me so i could uh, study with jacobs even though i was going to depaul so so, but he was, you know, really a great teacher. So what uh, Mike is doing is he's going around and um, interviewing all the former st students he can, and he's doing like a little video. And then when we get that, we'll uh, put that on the website as like additional uh, content. Say hello to our uh, audience, Michael. Eric, it is so good to see you. I can't believe it. And hello to everybody who's listening. I... I, you know, Mike found, you know, I'm a curmudgeon. I'm not on Facebook, but... Um, Taking me 20 years to find you, Eric. I know, and I didn't... 20 years. <laughs> I didn't realize I was this hard to find. But we're out here. Uh, Mike is on vacation here in uh, Florida. He's at a beautiful resort out in Kissimmee. We're sitting on his uh, balcony looking at the pool. So that's the water you have in the background. And I'm just so happy that um, Mike found me. And the main reason he found me was he's doing this um, project that he's going to elaborate about on our mutual teacher, Arnold Jacobs. Arnold Jacobs was the um, tuba player in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and probably the, wouldn't you say, the foremost brass teacher of I'd say of the 20th the century? 20th century. Yeah, if I'd not say all so. time. Well, you do, I think... Um, well, next to you, of course. Uh, you know, associate professor at the University uh, of Oregon. Yeah, no, I don't... Go I, Ducks. Yeah, Go Ducks. I'll, <laughs> I can buy and Go Ducks. Yeah. Um, I, certainly Jacobs, if certainly the 20th century, and may, maybe of all time. It, uh, I think Arbonne would be somebody you'd probably talk about in terms of the 19th century. Right. Um, but... Uh, he, he he definitely changed the direction of, of uh, wind teaching or wind pedagogy, as right. we say in the academy. Right. Uh, in, a, in a much different direction than had been uh, it had been taking uh, prior to his teaching. Exactly. But uh, what a guy he was! What an amazing person! Right. Really, really incredible. Um, Mike is doing. Why don't you tell our listeners about the project you're doing, sure. and then. Um, We'll talk a little bit, you know, about you as well. well I'd rather talk about you, Eric. Well, less we can, about me, we can more talk, about you. We can talk about that too. You know, we've got uh, about a half hour, so we can tear it up. But about two and a half years ago, I embarked on a, a project that uh, I thought would be really interesting, but I had no idea just how 
interesting. It would be, at least for me, it's been uh, really an amazing project to be a part of. Um, essentially, what I started to do was to uh, go around the, the world and interview former students of Arnold Jacobs. And um, the reason being that uh, Arnold Jacobs, as was mentioned before, is really just an amazing uh, wind teacher, brass teacher in particular. He was the tuba player of the Chicago Symphony from 1944 to 1988, and uh, just a, a landmark teacher. And um, his, uh, as the years go by, then many, you know, every year, uh, some of his students pass away. I'm really right. happy to have um, uh, examples, uh, interview examples of his teaching from the students who studied with him in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Right. Um, so it's quite a, quite a long uh, number of decades representing his teaching. Um, and uh, today we just got to add uh, Mr. Eric Lee to the, uh, to the interview list. Right. We'll have a copy of the video You're on the website. It's very high-tech. Um, Mike's got a great uh, production studio here in Florida. So uh, One of my many, yeah. Yeah, so it's you know, really top-notch. So. All of these interviews are posted on the YouTube channel, Tuba People TV. It's all one word. You can go to YouTube and uh, see all of these interviews at Tuba People TV. Did you uh, start at Northwestern? I transferred in in 1981. I had okay. uh, completed two years of study at a community college in uh, the Portland area, Portland, Oregon area, Clark Community College, and then a year of study at Portland State University. Okay. And a friend of mine from high school, a trombone player, I had con uh, kept in contact with him. He had gone to Northwestern as a trombone oh, who student. Who was that? Daniel McCarthy. Oh, yeah, Dan McCarthy. I got to meet you. In 1981, that was great. Peter Dubow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a really good, really good class. Yeah, it was. Great and the fun. nice thing about Northwestern was it's not a big school, so I think at the very most there were maybe ten tuba players. Yeah, at the at, most. At the most. At the mo you know, so it's really good. Everybody got along good, you know. Yeah. It was, you know, and that's and that's counting graduate students. Maybe yeah, Maybe like ten exactly. tubas. Yeah. With graduate students and everybody. Norm Hansen. Yeah, well, he's a trombone player. And a and euphonium player. Euphonium. Yeah. He's a really good euphonium player. Yeah, very good. I think he's in um, teaching in Indiana. He I is. Think. Yeah. He's a Facebook friend of mine, but you're not on Facebook. I may, have to, I may have to switch. You know, my friend uh, Bob Gloppin, he said, you know, if Eric of Tuba were to get on Facebook, the servers would shut down. So I'm actually trying to keep, <laughs> you know... Keep Zuckerberg in business, you know, not shut shut it down. But I might actually think, you know, get on it. Okay. So we'll we'll see. All right. So, Good. so then you were now. Did you study with Mr. Jacobs right away? Because he wasn't officially on the faculty at that point. Well, at, in 1981, it's, it's an interesting thing. I I had no, I I knew nothing of Arnold Jacobs um, when I applied to Northwestern. I okay. only applied to Northwestern. One, there were two reasons. One, my band director in high school says, if you want to make it big in your hometown, then you have to leave town and get the secret sauce from somebody else, somewhere right. else, right. and come back with the secret sauce. Or at least that's the way you'll be perceived. You, right. may, you may not get anything from where you right. go, right. but you'll be perceived as having some secret sauce that everybody will want. Right. Well, and plus Chicago is like a mecca for yeah, brass players. Of course. I mean, obviously there was secret sauce, but right. this, it, it didn't really matter. The, the, the main thing was, was, was going away. So when I auditioned 
Uh, I went up to a Stadium High School in Tacoma, Washington, and, and played for the microphone for the tape recorder uh, in spring of 81. Jim Moore, who was the, the uh, admissions director at the time, he said, now, you know that Bob Rusk is our tuba teacher. And I, and I said, who's Bob Rusk? And he said, well, I just want to make sure you knew that Arnold Jacobs was not our tuba teacher. And I said, well, who's Arnold Jacobs? <laughs> I had no idea. He said, and he said, "That's all I. That's all I needed to hear." Okay, thank you very much. That's so, so I got to meet hilarious. Bob Rusk. Uh, you know, when I arrived in September of '81, and then that that very year, they brought Jacobs back in a part-time capacity. So we studied with Jacobs and Rusk concurrently. Right, because I had started studying with with him on my own when I was a sophomore, and then I remember then he got back on the faculty. And what our listeners may not realize was. Northwestern is in Evanston, which is like the first northern suburb of Chicago. And then uh, Mr. Jacobs taught in the Fine Arts Building, which was just down the street from Orchestra Hall on Michigan Avenue. Downtown Chicago. In downtown Chicago. And he didn't want to drive up to Evanston to have to... You know, teach and he lived. He lived way. He lived. He lived on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, like a hundred, hundred south. Way down, way down there. Way so, it would have been just a, a terrible drive for him to drive from South Chicago right. to North. Right. Side. Because then, in the how old is he? In the is a, he was sixty five in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. See, so he was you know already, but then he played in, until didn't retire till eighty eight. He yeah. So he was. Um, he retired when he was 83. No, no, 70, 73. Right, because he, he retired in 88. Yeah, exactly. But then, um, then he lived another... 10 years. In, right, 98. So, so it was any, great. Wasn't it great studying with Jake and with Bob Rusk? Yeah. And that, now another thing our listeners may not realize, Bob Rusk was the uh, tuba player in the Milwaukee Symphony. And we were t- talking about this... Um, you know, off the air, what an underrated um, tuba teacher and player he was. I mean, he was really, really great. I thought a really great teacher. Yeah, fantastic teacher. And he was teacher. a longtime student of Jacob's, plus he studied with Bill Bell, Bill Bell yeah. at Indiana. I tell you, that first lesson I had with Jacob's was just an amazing one. It was, uh, I had been taught in very honest ways you know i all the teachers that i encountered uh, as a tuba player i thought were giving me their very best and um they were they were and some of them are still living are really great people and i admire them and i I keep in touch with them but it was the it was the pedagogy of you know the, the 19th century right and it was getting to jacobs was just amazing because it was it was based upon how we function as human beings and uh, not anecdotally how a particular teacher functions who's right. teaching the student in front of him. And so it was, it was really, uh, he, Jacobs was able to get into the mind of the person uh, sitting with him in the studio and affect change really exactly. rapidly and exactly. radically. Exactly. And I, my, my very first lesson with him, I remember um, thinking to myself, it's just one of these surreal Right, well, that's kind of what we talked about on the, the TV side of things. Right, because we did the um, the video TV. before before we did this. I mean, that's kind of the thing. At the beginning, you are it is surreal. You're with Arnold Jacobs, you know. You're not with you know Joe Blow. No, I mean you're and, at the top at that point. And Peter Dubow, uh, who was my uh, uh, floor mate 
uh, in college. We were in the same dorm mm-hmm. at Kendall College. We were, we were uh, off-site. We weren't in a Northwestern That's dorm. That's because you were an elusive uh, transfer. transfer student. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Peter, Peter was very kind to take me down to, to uh, Michigan Avenue and take me up to see Jake's studio. He explained to me who Arnold Jacobs was and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And So when I finally got into the studio, I, I certainly then knew who, who he was. He had an idea of who he was. But I didn't, uh, uh, it was just an amazing thing. When I was in that lesson, I had one of these, these out-of-body conversations with myself while he's teaching me, you know? So, so if you can imagine, you know, the audio to Arnold Jacobs is going down and the audio to my conversation, my self-conversation right. is increasing. Exactly. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this is not as hard as it is as i've made made it out to be it's actually pretty easy well that to play was the tuba well that's what was really the whole thing he did make it easy made it easy because basically he would make like the his whole philosophy well you know song and wind yeah and you had like this little tuba in the in your head and the big tuba is just a reflection of the little tuba right and you get it in your mind and then it just comes out jacobs was really concerned more with what uh what the student was thinking when they made a mistake. Were they having their thoughts on the on the music, or were they were their thoughts elsewhere? Right. And if their thoughts were elsewhere, then it becomes a matter of of controlling your thoughts. Right, and then just bringing you know the music. Yep. In and then bringing because basically you have the music in your head, and that makes your lip do what it needs to do. Yeah. And then you have enough air behind it to so you have the fuel to to make to make it happen. Yeah. It was the perfect storm. Yeah. It really was because you had you had uh, Jacobs who arrived a f- three or four years before Bud. Bud arrived, and then they had this period of time in the Chicago Symphony in the late '40s where they didn't have a music director, and so they were more or less like kids in a candy store. They they were they were able to really do what they wanted with with a little bit of of restraint, a little bit once in a while. And then uh, you get into the 1950s. Kubelik had come and gone. And then Reiner showed up right. with his RCA contract. Right. And you had this amazing brass section that had been percolating for the last five or six or seven years. Reiner shows up and with his recording contract with RCA, and then all of a sudden they make these amazing recordings, incredible right. recordings, right. that many of which are still uh, gold standard today, even 50, 60 years later. Right, and they would do those in re- Orchestra Hall, and that was before the hall was remodeled, and yeah. basically it would just hang like one micro, you know, like a stereo, just from the top, and that was it. Well, that was the Mercury Living Well, presence. that was the mono. Yeah, that but was But then the mono. RCA was stereo, but I mean, it was stereo. Like yeah, two. it wasn't a lot of over-miking, you're right. No, yeah, I it mean, was... it was, you know, amazing. And if you listen to, well, going back to Kubelik, like the pictures in an exhibition recording with Kubelik, you've got, like you said, they're like a bunch of young kids. That was, and that was Bud's, Bud Hurst's first commercial recording. That was the first time that yeah. we get to hear Bud as, on a commercial recording. It was an amazing time for that, for that orchestra. Right. And then you had, then after Reiner, and then the other interesting thing about Reiner, Reiner was, um, Jake's conductor at Curtis. That's right. And Jacobs was on, was, there wasn't necessarily, I don't think there was a committee per se, but a few people were like Bud Herseth, Jacobs. I think the concert master w- mm-hmm. was asked by management what, what they thought of Fritz Reiner possibly becoming the next music director. And, and Jacobs is famous for quoting, oh, I'm sure he's calmed down in his, his elder years. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
<laughs> I don't know if that really happened. I don't think that happened. Yeah. He would tell me, like, in lessons, like, anytime Reiner was around, you would only practice, like, your best stuff. And you, like, right. the hardest excerpts you could play, you know, perfectly. And then he'd leave you alone in rehearsal. Yeah, and he learned that at Curtis because his, his practice room, his assigned practice room, Mr. Jacobs' right. assigned practice room at Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia was on the corridor that led from one part of the building to the other part of the right. building. And so he had, you know, he knew that all the great artists of the Philadelphia Orchestra were coming, right. were walking past. He knew the conducting right. staff would be walking past. So he, he said instinctively he knew he had to sound great all the time. Right. And that's what he would call training the brain or programming the brain right. to sound great all the time. Right. So even if, had, even if he had to change the rules by slowing things down or taking things up an octave or down an octave, whatever it might have been, right. whatever he had to do to sound great, he always found a way to sound great. Right. And then and that's kind of like what he would talk about in the lessons, too. Yeah. You don't want to practice sounding bad. Right. You only want to practice sounding good. So whatever you're playing, the most elemental piece, like how they are, whatever, you want to sound your best yeah. at all the time. You never want to sound bad. Always good. Right. And, you know, because he didn't <laughs> Reiner, you know, exactly. coming after him. Because exactly. Reiner, you know, were, you know, kind of a tyrant. I would, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you know. So. so. What was it? Uh, one of the horn players, after Reiner passed away, one of the horn players went to the funeral service and somebody asked, why? I didn't think you liked Dr. Reiner well enough to go to his funeral service. And the horn player said, I didn't. I just want to make sure he was dead. <laughs> was this uh, bass player and this is before the you know before the musicians union was was particularly strong in terms of the uh the orchestral side of things it was strong in the dance band side of things at that time but not so much in the orchestra world there weren't as many protections right for the musicians uh back then and um so there's this bass player who in the orchestra chicago symphony who would be um you know from time to time asking Reiner about his beat pattern or can you make that more clear or can you, you know, I can't really tell what you're doing. And, and oh, one no. day, one day the, uh, the bass player uh, started bringing binoculars to rehearsal. And so at one time he, he held up the binoculars uh, to, to uh, see the, the beat pattern and, and Reiner caught, caught, uh, caught that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the next time Reiner was prepared. And so the next time, the next day or the next week, whenever it might've been, the bass player, that bass player brought binoculars and used them. Reiner had a little note in his hand. That said you you're could, fired. It said you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as the guy, as the bass player was looking through the binoculars at his baton, he could see the note that said you're fired. Oh, see, I, know, I don't think I had heard that story. That's a great story. That's a good one. 
Well, Jake used to tell me how what a small beat you know you just had to be on your game absolutely all the time. Yeah, very 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 economical use of the of a baton. And when right. you look, go look and you go back and look at the videos of Reiner conducting, you know, I'm sure they're on YouTube and right. you can there's the VAI uh, put out several DVDs, one of which uh, of the Chicago Symphony, one of right. which has uh, Reiner. You can see just how economical right. he was. I mean, he could certainly get big if he wanted to, but he was generally pretty, right. pretty plain. Right. But then in the late 60s, then Schulte came, and then everything. Oh, my gosh. Talk about the polar opposite of, right. of beat pattern. Exactly. Wow. And but just in, I think, personality in general, too. I don't think... More outgoing. Yeah, Schulte was more, much more outgoing. Right. I don't think the players... I never heard... Jacob say anything bad about Schulte. I don't think they no they they weren't scared of 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 losing their jobs with Schulte as they were with Reiner. I think at that point you know they the orchestra had such an esprit decor right. that they 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 were the Chicago Symphony now right and they wanted to sound great all the time right and our listeners may may not realize what we're talking about like in the fifties it wasn't even a full time job back then the no, Chicago Symphony it was like a I think a twenty five or thirty week downtown winter season maybe mm-hmm. 25 weeks and then you'd have maybe a month or six weeks off and then you'd have a four-week summer season at Ravinia, and then right. you'd have another four five six weeks off and then right. you'd start the downtown season again right it wasn't even a full-time job i mean jacobs told me he made more money playing uh, upright bass with the in cbs cbs than or, he did with the chicago symphony because he doubled you know played doubled bass. on, on elect, uh, string string, string bass. bass and he also would uh Play in the, uh, the 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 tea room or the restaurant at Marshall Fields on State Street. Mm-hmm. He'd play in a trio, a jazz right. trio. Right. But Herseth sold used cars mm-hmm. to uh, supplement his income. Right. Yeah, it was a different. It time was a back different then. time, and that, you know Bob Rada, uh, who's one of the people I interviewed, he actually studied with Jacobs in the forties. Mm-hmm. He joined the Chicago Symphony trombone section in the fifties under Reiner. He was there, I think, maybe five years, and decided, you know. I can make more money doing something else. Right. And so he went into aeronautics. Right. And, uh, you know, left the orchestra. Right. It's a totally different different world, you know, than, than it is now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was not a 52-week season. It wasn't until the early 60s that the, uh, the musicians in the orchestras in the United States, the big ones, started to take control. Right. of their destiny through through the unions because the the local unions at that time were much more focused on the dance band um, members of their of their locals and as well as the recordings right you know, uh, the, the the recordings and so um, there was not as much attention paid to the orchestral musicians and so the orchestral musicians in these various cities Chicago Cleveland Philadelphia New right. York. Um, would be more or less left out in the cold by the by the representation or lack thereof they were getting from the local the local uh, right. union boards right. when they would negotiate contracts with the um, symphony managements or the right. symphony boards. Right. And so it wasn't until the '60s when the the orchestral musicians started to um, gain control of the local boards through the through the election process. They would get themselves elected onto these executive boards, and then they have much more control over the whole negotiating processes right. that uh, was going on. And then, you know, we see the 52-week contract. The first 52-week contract, I think, came with Cleveland Orchestra mm-hmm. in the early 60s. And, right. uh, so it was just a much different time right. back in the 50s. Much right. different. And, you know, there's the famous recording session, the, the Heldenleben 
uh, with Reiner recording right. session. Right. You're talking about the first one. The yeah. One, well, the, 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 the one what was that, 54? No, well, they only did it once. They only did it Heldenleben. Leben. They did Zarathustra oh, twice. Was, right. But Heldenleben, I mean, it was like this all-day, 12-hour session. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can hear Bud is really playing on his teeth. Yeah. On the, the second half of that piece, yeah. the last third of that piece, Bud Herseth. And uh, he still sounds amazing, just mind over matter. Right. Um, but still, you know, they didn't have the they didn't have the work rules back then. Right. And uh, when they got done with that Heldenleben, they said, "Hey, let's record Salome dances too." <laughs> and so they did. So it was like this twelve-hour recording session day, yeah. which yeah. is just crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And that's kind of in the teaching. Jacobs would talk about that too. How yeah. it's mind over matter. Mind over Your matter. La- lip it doesn't even matter what it feels like it's just you know some skin flapping in the wind it doesn't matter what it feels like or anything it's all in your head in my uh, interview with Luis Lubriel mm-hmm. he talked about his one of his early lessons with Jacobs where Luis trumpet player went in and Jacobs just had him playing 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 for like 30 minutes mm-hmm. and uh, what Jacobs was trying to do was get get Luis fatigued to find right. out well, okay once he's fatigued where is his mind then right and uh, because he was sounding good going into the lesson but where where will he be in 30 minutes if right. i if where I he starts going downtown put him put him through his paces and right. let him play all this hard rep where is his mind going to be once his lips start to feel uncomfortable right and uh, that's uh you know Luis talked about that in his interview about how it's it's uh the the more uncomfortable your lips become feeling uh that's the that's when you have to turn up the sound in your head even louder all right uh, we're back that's an interesting part of the interview because what uh, mike's talking about is the fatigue factor and you know that happens with us with the space coast symphony because you know aaron really asked for a lot out of the brass players and sometimes you get fatigued and you just gotta like you know turn your mind on and just really crank it out so well mike rose knows what he's talking about he's a teacher that's right he's a teacher and he's you know learned from the best so that's the whole thing so but i i will make one observation okay which is at the most recent weekend here we had carbon right and i don't think you got fatigued at all i actually this is the first time i saw you not on the stage i know this is one of i my knew best. something was up when i saw you wearing a tie and not your tuxedo that's right this is one of my best concerts ever i didn't miss yeah. a note <laughs> <laughs> was, you were sidelined i was i was on the bench to so. look over and see you sitting there with the audience I mean, you were like, uh, I could have talked to you. It was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's almost like we could have talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> you did almost. talk to him. Almost. You did almost. talk to me. You did well, talk to me. But it not was, during, it was a not great during the performance, for God's sakes. No, that would be uh, inappropriate to talk during the performance. Yes. You are but, correct, sir. But, uh, but now that it's it over, great. we can talk about the performance that yeah. was. Yeah. And I really, and, and you guys were there. It was really great. I really enjoyed it quite a I bit. I went with my mom. I got to tell you, she said, and I quote, I will never forget this as long as I live. Really? She loved it. Oh, I really liked it, She too. made this statement on the way home. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. On the way back to Titusville. I'm ready. She said, my new love is symphony music. Really? Oh, that's great. You know why? Because there was no tuba. <laughs> no. Well, no. I w- what I was actually going to say is because you, you brought her to see the symphony for everyone. Good point. 
That's true. Yes. It is a symphony for everyone. Yes. So I will make an observation too. Okay, go. I'm in observation mode today. This is oh, my yeah. third observation of the day. That. I think. Uh, you know, certainly, I, you know, I, I'm no stranger to the oboe, uh, and uh, you know, it's pleasing as an instrument. But I wasn't quite sure what to expect, and I will tell you, I thought number one. She performed flawlessly. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. She's and what I was really, really amazed by was the amount of tonality coming out of the oboe. I didn't expect that much sound. Really. Oh, yeah. She's, she's really a great player. This is the second time she's played a concerto with us. Um, as Aaron mentioned during the concert, she'd played an English horn concerto you know, a couple of years ago, and then she did this one. Yeah, she's just a really great player. It's she really actually, enjoyable listening to it, her. It was. And as a musician, she... My take on it, she put that oboe through its paces. Oh, yeah. That concerto was really, really something. Yeah, to hear her and the violinists, I mean, obviously all the musicians, but specifically her and the violinists working in and out of each other. It was like a dance. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It's oh, like yeah. the, the musicians, it it's really like the, the instruments were dancing with each other. It was incredibly tight and and busy, and I was blown away. Yeah, because it was an interesting concert for us because the first half was strings and then you know we had the uh, Barbara Adagio for sing strings which you know is just strings and then yes. we had the oboe concerto which was the oboe and the strings and then the second half was strings and percussion so it was an interesting concert you didn't have the full orchestra with the strings the brass the percussion and the woodwinds you know the whole thing so that's why I wasn't playing because I wasn't needed there was no part for me you know a surprise was the unannounced encore featuring Kristen Nygus. Oh, yeah, that was really great. It was uh, Gabriel's oboe from the movie The Mission, and Aaron announced that it was one of his grandmother's favorite pieces. So That's right. It was really, really great. And we just so happened to have a clip.
Well, I'm really glad Aaron decided to do that, even though it was last minute and unannounced. I mean, what a treat. Oh, yeah, it was really beautiful music. Yeah. And he even brought a little tear to my... You know, uh, it, brought, it brought a tear to a lot of people in the audience. Yeah. Jeremy, was, what do you think? Yeah, I, I had actually never heard that piece before. was I not familiar either. with it at all, no. and it was just, just a lovely song. Really good. Yep. Really beautiful piece. That it was. Well, the concert overall was really, uh, really something. Right. And then the second half was really great, too. Yep. We had the um, kind of the recrafting uh, of Carmen by uh, Shedron, and it was for strings and percussion. You know, you know, Spoiler I'm a, alert, I'm a still no tuba. Right, there's still no tuba. <laughs> Although Aaron did clue me in, there's a brass transcription of this. Sure. That yeah. maybe we'll do down the road. I'm familiar with the transcription. You are. Of you're, the fact that there is one, but I'm not familiar. You're very well versed. Well, I'm very I impressed am. with you. I'm, you know, being a guitar player and all, and you know all this stuff. I'm, I'm very pretty versed. I'm very well, well impressed with Let's all that. Let's put it this way. I sound like I'm versed. I got to tell you, the second half really lived up that was cool, to, the, to, the, to the cover of oh, yeah. the program. It was really great. If you look at the cover of the program, uh, that looks... It looks very Russian. Yeah. It looks very. I mean, look for, at that. yeah. I mean, for those of you who didn't attend the co concert, I think the program cover is one of the best covers Aaron ever came up it's with. It is. It is. It's spectacular. It's, really it's a, it's a flowing red dress. It is wild, and it kind of goes into a. It's very surreal looking, and I'm telling you, the it, second half lived up to the yeah, cover. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. I mean, it kind of took Bizet's music and kind of put its own spin on it. It was really, really something. I really enjoyed it, and it was really interesting. You know, just being in the audience. Sure. Because it gave you a different perspective. Yeah, and plus I actually got to, you know, look at the program and what a great job you're doing with the program because this is the most ads we've ever had. You know, so I just want to take my hat off to you for all the ads you've sold and what I said, you know, at the beginning of the program, if you're um looking for something, please patronize our advertisers because we want them to renew. So that's very important. Sure, we do. We want them to renew. Right. So buy as much as you can from our advertisers. Well, that's uh, funny you should say that. Um, I got I to tell you, um, I'm very interested in hearing more about this symphony for good. Okay, Why don't I you can, go into that a little bit? I can do that. that. I talked about it at the beginning of the concert, and then Aaron talked about it at the second half. We're starting our symphony for good campaign. Uh, we've done this the last, um, I know we did it last year. We might have done it the year before. Our goal is to raise $30,000 by May 1st. So if you're already one of our patrons, you'll probably be getting a phone call in the next couple of weeks. You know, we'll try not to call you during dinner. Last year, we raised about 18500 and I feel that um, we can, you know, double it because, you know, our patrons have been great to us, and it's something that we can do. There's, when you're running the symphony orchestra, there's a lot of costs, let me tell you. The um, ticket prices, we keep them artificially low. So it doesn't cost all the cover all the expenses around the orchestra. We've got music. We got to pay the musicians. We got to pay the venues. We got to pay licensing, marketing. It's yeah. The list goes on and on. There's a special sort of software we're looking to purchase that will revolutionize yeah. the way the symphony it, it, does business. And, and that's it costs the, like twenty thousand yeah, dollars for big, the software. Yeah, it's big. It's a big deal. So that's something we're trying to. Um, raise money for it to purchase it. But it will completely revolutionize the way we do business. So well, that'll be good. It'll be great. And I know everybody can do it. And, you know, this is, you know, finishing up with tax season. Your contribution is tax deductible. Sure. To the fullest extent of the law. Yep. So, well, thank you, know. you for that explanation. 
Did you like that? Yeah, I sure did. I'm very, I can be serious when I want to be. Yes, you can. <laughs> Speaking of being serious, um, I really like the first uh, part of the interview with Mike Gross. Why don't you set up uh, a little bit of the second interview, and let's uh, let's go to the second interview. Yeah, we're going the second to second part. You know, Mike um, is going to talk more about you know studying with Arnold Jacobs and everything, and really a pleasure you know reconnecting with him and you know being involved in his project. So. You know, when he contacted me, I said, well, do you want to be, you know, on our show? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, it's great. He was able to help me and I was able to help him. So it's really great. So let's go to part two of the interview. And let me think if there's anything else that you think would enlighten our um, our listeners. Well, I... I would just like to say a f- word or two about Eric Lee. Eric Lee, <laughs> Eric Lee is a is a fine artist, a fine a fine musician. You're you're very kind. And uh, well, he was always one of my favorite people to hang out, hang around with at Northwestern. And he had this had this amazing ability to imitate Arnold Jacobs. And there was one week when Jacobs couldn't fit me into his schedule for a lesson. So Eric and I were over at uh, Pickstagger, the concert hall at Northwestern. And I said, Eric, Jake, Jake just, uh, he, he, uh, threw me out of the queue for the lesson this week. I'm wondering, can I get a lesson with you? Can you go into your Jake mode? Why? Yes, Michael, I can do that for you. I'd be happy to. So Eric, Eric had this great ability to, uh, imitate Mr. Jacobs in sound and even in some content. And so I had a lesson with, with Arnold Jacobs through Eric Lee. So how did that work out for you was I thought a, it turned out okay yeah yeah did you learn a, anything it was a good fix yeah definitely did you get me a muffin I might have I might have gone over to Norris and gotten you a okay. muffin and some coffee what our listeners may not realize was at the fine art studio Mr. Jacobs would teach literally he'd teach all day so he really didn't take breaks for lunch or anything no, brought his lunch or else or what would happen is you'd show up for your lesson and he'd be like um Eric why don't you go downstairs and get me a blueberry muffin and get me get something for yourself too? Here's a hundred dollars. It's the smallest I have. He'd have like this wad of cash. He was yeah. like Diamond Jim Brady. Yeah. Go downstairs. You get him a muffin. I I wouldn't get anything. But I get a you know I love coffee, so I get a cup of coffee. Yeah. So go downstairs, get the muffin, get the cup of coffee, bring it back, and he was happy. Yeah. Or sometimes he'd want a grilled cheese sandwich. Grilled cheese on toast. Right. Coffee, cream, and sugar. Right. Or if he's really living it up, he'd want a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Yeah. From that was Fine like Artist a, Cafe on Michigan right, Avenue. Right, right on the right on the ground floor. So Yep, you take the uh you get to the Fine Arts building. Uh I, I, once in a while I, I would actually if I knew his lesson was maybe midday, like three o'clock mm-hmm. my lesson with him, I would bring him a cup of coffee, cream and sugar. Oh yeah. I'd stop in and get him. Take, I think I think I got smart enough to do that, you know. Because you never knew if, if he had eaten or not, but he always would drink coffee. He'd always, have, he'd always take some coffee. You get in the elevator uh, of the Fine Arts Building, usually Tommy. Right. Tommy was the elevator right. operator. He's a big right. Notre Dame fan. Right. And he'd get you to the fourth floor, close the cage, and move that elevator up. Yeah, yeah this is like an antique elevator. Like, they still have them that way, too. It's unbelievable. That's it's like a, from, what, like the 1800s? 18, yeah, late 1800s. Yeah. It used to be the... Um, the ground floor of that building used to be the St- Studebaker showroom. Wrapping up the season with also Sprock. So oh, May. nice. So, two tubas. Two tubas. So you'll be, uh, you'll be principal tuba and president in curmudgeon. 
and President Anchor Majin, we're doing this thing in partnership with NASA where it's going to have images of Earth, you know, as we play also Sprock. The year before, we did the planets with images from NASA. Wow. And then this year, we're doing it also Sprock, and it's images from NASA for, um, with Earth. And so last kind of year you did planets with planets with these images. They had like all these high resolution images of all of the planets that. And are where'd you the, get those images from NASA? NASA. Well, we're right down the right street there, from the space, uh, space, the space center. So when was the Space Coast Symphony founded? Uh, Two thousand nine. Wow, excellent. So we're doing. And you're president. I'm president. It's hard to believe. I'm probably the only tuba player who's the president of an orchestra, probably in the world. Here, I'll tell this story real quick, and then we'll wrap things up. I told you this. Um, well, you know, when you called me last night to set things up for today, Aaron, we were playing like this pickup orchestra. We're doing Verity's Requiem, right? And, you know, we're getting, and I knew Aaron, but, you know, I, this is the first time I'd ever played for him as a conductor. And he's like playing, he stops the orchestra, violins, a little bit softer here, more trombones. We're like looking at each that other. That never happens. I know. We're like, what's going on? And then we're going a little bit farther along in the, Verity, and he stops and says, trombones, I know that only says uh, piano, but why don't you play that a good solid forte? So then we knew Aaron is our guy. Yeah. So then Colleen said, you know, Aaron, you should start an orchestra. A couple of months later, you got all this paperwork, and then it's been great. I think he's probably one of the few conductors I played for that lets us play like God intended. Because, you know, starting with the Chicago Symphony it's, you know, it's full on. It is. Especially the way they played, you know, back in the day. That's amazing. And he lets us, you know, just turns us loose. And, you know, he's kind of, Aaron's kind of like, you know, my Reiner, kind of. Only he's young and I'm old. <laughs> and back then, Jake was young and Reiner was old. That's right. So. But it's kind of like that same same sort of thing, just, you know, turns us loose. He's not going to uh, fire you, though, is he? He probably, he might fire me. Bring your binoculars and find out. <laughs> He might fire me. You never know. I try to keep, you know, that's the thing with Aaron. You want to, I always try to bring my A game because, you know, he's got, you know, great ear and really a great memory. He can, I mean, he'll conduct, you know, stuff from memory. We did Chike 5 last weekend, you know, all from memory. Yeah. I mean, it's, I couldn't do that. I mean, you know, he's really, really a very talented young man. That's so, fantastic. So, yeah, he's, you know, let's just play. Turns us loose, you know. So you really, as a brass player, you can't ask for more than that. No, that's. And you've been. I'm sure you've been. You get in groups. Oh yeah. I've been in less, groups. I less. get the hand yeah. even before I get my horn up. Yeah, before the instruments out of the case, you get the hand. Right, <laughs> especially me, because I, I like to you know, play a little loud and yeah. you get the hand. But Aaron, you know, lets us play. So, so unless you can think of any other, you know. Little uh, tidbits for our uh, listeners. I just say you're a fine American. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, I learned it all from you. This is Eric Lee and my my friend uh, Mike Gross, uh, associate professor of the University of Oregon. Uh, we're going to sign sign off for now. And um, Mike, if you're ever in the area, oh, I, I can't wait to see you again, Eric. Yeah, or thank you for having me. If you were here in May, you could play second tuba. Zarathustra. Zarathustra. There can't, we go. Can't beat that.
Yeah, that was great. You know, also yes. Sprock Zarathustra. We're going to be doing that um, Saturday, May 23rd and Sunday, May 24th. And I'm hoping, you know, I can uh, convince Mike to make the trip from Oregon to uh, come down and play second tuba with me. That'll be great. I'm looking forward to that. You know, he's going to be coming down. He might want to check out Camping World. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll it's have to let our, him know. Sure. It's one of our major sponsors, the nation's largest network of RV stores and services with over 100 locations to suit any of your RVing needs. And they're located right here in Cocoa, 4700 King Street. Yeah. For anybody looking, they have an incredible inventory. They have both towable and motorized vehicles. Right. I've been to Camping World, actually, even before they became a sponsor of us. Because, you know, I used to have a, a trailer. But, you know, I had some trouble. Did I ever tell you that story about no. the trailer? No, you didn't. This is before we had, you know, permanently moved down here. We were driving down from Chicago down here. And we were towing our trailer, right? Because we're going to camp it on the way down. So we're driving along 75, right? And um, we see these people passing us, and they're waving at us. And we're like, wow, people are really friendly in Georgia. <laughs> so then we I can't look wait in to the, hear this. So then we look in the rearview mirror, and there's, like, smoke billowing out, <laughs> out of the trailer. <laughs> so we, like, pull over, and then I open up the door, and then flame like you know smoke starts shooting out you know somehow the trailer caught on fire yes and of course the fire extinguisher didn't work of course so then um we called you know the 911 they came out and the fireman came out and when they started hacking at the trailer with an axe i knew the trailer was totaled so that kind of ended our uh, rv days but if i were ever to get another trailer i would definitely go over to camping world were you upset were you happy on that trip i was not happy that the not trailer happy. caught on fire <laughs> I was not happy about you that. You weren't happy? No, I was not happy no, that course, the trailer Of course fire. not. It's a trick question. I was trying to... Anyway, that's good to know. Look, we have some upcoming concerts. You kind of alluded to the one. Right. Um, why don't we've you got a walk concert us, before then. Walk us through the concerts. Okay. This is kind of like an annual event for us, and people love it. It's called the Pops Bouquet. Yes. It's a uh, concert uh, honoring mothers. Honoring Mothers. Right. It's Saturday, May 9th at 7 p.m. over at the Scott Center. It's kind of a lighthearted concert. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, we do this thing where Aaron invites the kids up on the stage and they conduct the the orchestra. You know, it's a lot of fun. Sure. And, and there's if, other things, too. If you get there early enough, if you're a mother, you get a free flower. It's really a nice, nice program. I think... Everybody really likes it. And any good father, son, husband that has a mother, a wife, a grandmother, if you don't bring your wife, mother, or grandmother to this concert, you're messing up. That's right. What about the Odyssey? Oh, that is going to be fantastic. It's in conjunction with NASA, correct? NASA. I don't know how many of our listeners went to our concert last year, The Planets, where we did host the planets with the... Um, images you know from nasa of all the planets this is kind of like part two of that we're doing an earth odyssey with pictures of earth from nasa you know from from space and we're doing also sprock zarathustra wow which has you know the be two good. tubas yes which is quite unusual and you so. love that that's what i refer to as the tuba blast that's right tuba blast two tubas Very i'm still i'm still looking into making a new drink <laughs> Tuba blast. Yes. <laughs> in this that, case, that was your idea, so I got to share credit for okay, that. Okay, I'm uh, in. I'm in. 
One, one of these days, I'm going to come in with a giant uh, 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 plastic bottle with a lid on it, a little squirt thing in the top, and sh- you know, it's, I'm thinking some sort of fruit flavored little effervescence in there. Tuba blast. You know what they say? That's great. I love the idea. Uh, what happens in the tuba? Stays in the tuba. Not really. No, that's why you have the, that's why you <laughs> have those little vowels. Valve. Yeah, <laughs> like all, all the spit comes you know, out. You know, you so. just had to say it. I set you up for that. I was, I didn't think you'd go there. Did you say spit valve? That's what it's called. Can well, you it's say actually, that? Can you say that on the air? It's actually called a water key. Okay. But you know, right. most of us spit call it a spit valve, valve for the love of Pete. You know, it's on the on the slide. You know, let's the excess condensation out. Yes. So. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a a very interesting show today here from Maestro's Cafe. Yes, at the beautiful Central Boulevard Library and Reference Center. Yes. And just just a reminder, just a reminder from uh, something we said last time, uh, Maestro's on air now available in iTunes. This happened while you were on vacation, actually. So you told me you actually did go. I was able to subscribe on both my iPad and my antique iPhone. So, so if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I'd like to thank Jeremy for getting us on iTunes. I know it wasn't easy to do all that. So, sure. uh, my pleasure. Just uh, you can go to uh, the iTunes store, search for Maestros on Air, or you can go to the website for the show, maestrosonair.com. You can either listen there on the page, or you can download. Right, so like if your internet connection goes out, you're still able to listen to us. So, well, ladies know, and gentlemen, that's very important. Yes, it's very important. <laughs> this is Bill Trudeau and Eric Lee, and this is Jeremy Hickman saying, "We'll, we'll see you at the show." You've been listening to Maestros on Air, brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Remember, you can support the symphony in many ways including a visit to Maestro's Cafe, located just inside the main entrance to the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center, 308 Forest Avenue, Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's Cafe serves a variety of coffee and other drinks, as well as breakfast and lunch selections, and is open most days from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. with extended hours on Tuesday and Thursday, closed Sunday. For more information about the symphony or upcoming events, like us on Facebook or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. Velocity Production.